0: What's up, runners? On this week's episode of the Up and Running podcast, I am bringing you a conversation that I had with none other than Coach Elizabeth from the Running Explained podcast. This was such a delight of a conversation to have with her. I have been wanting to bring her on for a while, and we honestly were supposed to talk a little bit more about her own story and her own journey as a runner and now running coach, but Per usual, we have gotten sidetracked, and we ended up having such a dynamic conversation about so many things as coaches and runners, and I think you will take away a lot of information as a runner wherever you are in your journey from our conversation today, so I hope you stay tuned and enjoy. What's up, runners? This is the Personalized Running Doc. I'm a runner rehab specialist, running coach, and competitive distance runner. And throughout the early years of my running career, I was plagued with repetitive injuries and told by many a professional that it was my body's own fault, that my body wasn't built for running. So either I could quit or just live with the pain. I decided to choose option three, dive into the science behind running and training, which is what allowed me to return to running pain-free and continue chasing after my own PRs to this day. And now I'm gonna tell you all that I have learned along the way and how I coach my own athletes to do the same. This is the Up and Running Podcast. All right, runners. So I am here with Elizabeth and I'm super excited to have her on today. She is from the very well-known Running Explained podcast. I listen to the podcast myself and I really love it on all of my runs. Um, But I'm going to have Elizabeth introduce herself and tell us more about her.
1: Hi, Lauren. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm super excited to be here. My name is Elizabeth Scott. I am the founder the head coach the person behind running explained and my goal as a coach and I call myself a running educator is to help runners of all experience levels all abilities understand the sport more so that they can improve as runners called better smarter faster runners really whatever your goal is.
0: I love that. And I really have always like admired the way that you combine not only like what the research is saying, but like anytime that we've had a conversation, it's also about like the individual because everybody is so different. And like, I feel like there's so many things out there, which is just like these like very structured, very like rigid, like no variation. And it's like, but that doesn't work because we're talking about people here and people have different lives and different things. And you always seem to like, find a great way of like bridging that gap.
1: Thank you. Yeah. And that I think is really the, one of the things that gets lost in a lot of just our world today, that tends to be very kind of clickbaity and black and white and like the one thing you need to know. And like the one thing that you do need to know about being an athletic individual, a distance center who has goals, whatever those goals are, is that although there are you know, best practices and scientific principles and research that supports these general things that we may be applying to you your individual experience and response and like your history and who you are will all shape and inform what is actually best for you Mm -hmm. and i think you know it's so easy to be like well this is the best way to do it there literally is no one single best way to do anything like i said although there are like best practices and best principles and like yeah for most people doing things this way is probably going to be the most beneficial but it always comes down to the individual. How do you feel about it? How are you responding to it? Is it actually balanced for you? Should we Mm -hmm. do less? Should we do more? So all of those things really, really matter.
0: Yeah. And like you said, it it, you have to take into those individual individual accounts because I mean I have and you probably relate, I have and I work with some runners that are on the beginner spectrum. They're just entering, they're just starting their journey. And that may be somebody that like literally just started last month or in the last like two years. I'd still consider them relatively a beginner, um, depending upon where they're at in that journey. And then I have other people who they've been running for a couple of years. And they, even though they started later in life, they are actually like naturally kind of gifted into the endurance sport, and they can again get away the thought of like getting away with a little bit more. Um, but they still have to be reminded of like some of those best practices, and they have to like find the ebb and flow of like that in between there.
1: It's interesting. I, I recently have found myself working more, or or you know, chatting more with runners who are like masters runners, you know, any runner who's over 40 masters runners who've actually been running for quite a while. Maybe they've been running for 10, 15, 20 years. Maybe they started running in, you know, in school and kind of never stopped recreationally. But what's interesting about a lot of these runners, they, and a lot of them have had some really great success in, in running really fast times at a lot of great, you know, longer distances or shorter distances, but they've never actually in their decades of running, really trained what we would say training appropriately right Mm -hmm. so you know they've never gone through like truly periodizing their training over the course of their you know training year or years they've never really focused on hey am i running my easy runs easy enough they've never really strength trained for their sport like it's it's so it's interesting to take a runner who is objectively has a lot of experience and to say, Hey, like, you know, it's not to say like, Oh, you haven't been doing things correctly, but like you still have so much potential left to develop because we still have a lot of things we can optimize about your training. Even though you've been doing this for 20 years, right. There are some big changes we can make that will probably give you some really big returns, even though you are now in your forties or your fifties or even your sixties.
0: Yeah. And like the thing with like, I think with any sport, but especially with running with it being so repetitive and like so cyclical in nature, like you have to be a constant student because life is going to change what you take out of running and life is going to change what you can put into running. And there's just so many like variances that have to like be equated for that. Like how I mean, how I run now is not the same as how I ran 10 years ago when I was a collegiate athlete. And there's no way that I could run right now as a collegiate athlete. And like, I've talked to like my clients like that. If I compared myself 10 from 10 years ago to like, now, like, I would think that like my, what I'm doing right now is quote unquote failing, but like, it's not, it's just, I became an adult. I have more responsibilities. I have different goals. And now it's also, I do hire um, a coach to work with me. And I know more about coaching as well, but there like, there's more of that. I would say coach athlete relationship where before it was just like, you are being told to do this. And like, that's end of story. Like there's not really much discussion, which you probably see that especially in like masters athletes and uh, athletes a little bit older where they're very much used to this old school way of training. And it's still out there. It still exists. And it hurts me every time that I see it happening or I hear it happening. Cause I'm like, Oh, there's so much better research out there now. Like we need to like kind of maybe grow with the research. Like, yes, these coaches that have like used that way have had so much success. um, But at the same time, there's so many people that fall through the cracks that aren't naturally gifted that could have been like supported just slightly differently. Because if you realize like, that people learn differently. Same thing in terms of sport, people are going to respond to different stimuluses differently. If you just gave that person or those people a different stimulus compared to those that are just able to take that rigid structured old school way, those people probably wouldn't have fallen off or had an injury or even some people that like have completely moved away from the sport from younger to now because they developed a poor relationship with running, running was, became more of a punishment to them. And that like, that breaks my heart. Cause like should never be that way.
1: That's, and that's, I think, yes, it is devastating to me whenever we, we lose a runner, whenever we have a runner who decides that this sport is no longer for them because of the experience they've had with it. And, and honestly, like one of the primary reasons I started doing what I do and in, in being a, a coach and an educator is that I saw, you know, being a, a laden, like I started, I was athletic my whole life, but I didn't really start running. I didn't really become a, I didn't become an, a distance runner until my late 20s. And I saw so many points in my early, you know, journey with running where I could have essentially dropped out, right? I could have hit a barrier that at the time I felt was insurmountable and, um, and, and just like never, and then just like one day just put my shoes in the closet and never done it again. And and I, (laughs) that didn't happen obviously, but I think that there are so many people who do that, right. Or who have this kind of like revolving door of like, they, you know, they, they want to commit to a running goal and then they go like, all the way in and like running way too hard and they essentially just burn out and they're off for six months or a year or two years or five years or 10 years and they come back, right? Mm -hmm. But like, how can we keep people in, how can we people keep people in being able to train consistently, feel healthy, build confidence, like all these things that are what it means to like stay in the sport. And obviously I think coaching is a huge part of that. So, you know, I've, I've worked with plenty of former collegiate athletes, not just runners, but people who played sports in college, like D one rowers and lacrosse players and soccer players. And there is such a variety of, I will say acceptable coaching environments that they have experienced. So, whether it was that very dictatorial, like you either can hang or you can't, like it feels like literally they went through a meat grinder and some of them survived and the rest of them didn't, which I think is a horrific way to treat people, much less our like adolescent athletes, right? Like that's horrific. But I've also had adult runners come to me and say, you know, I was working with this coach and they never listened to what I was saying. They never allowed me to dress my schedule. They always had me running these paces, even though I said that were too hard. Like they never let me take rest days when I wanted them. Like, so it's not to say that these coaching environments are exist solely in those um edge like collegiate or even high yeah. school settings, but um, but they do still exist because of the way that I think some people think about what coaching is. And it is, it is that dictatorial. Like I tell you what to do because I know better and you just have to do what I tell you. So you'll improve because you're the dumb runner and I'm the very smart coach. And like, that's really, I think the opposite of what a good coaching relationship is and that it truly is a dialogue because I can't do my job effectively. If I don't know how you're feeling right. Mm -hmm. And like how things are going and what's going on in your life and like how you're sleeping and what's your stress level like, and is your kid sick again? Like all those things matter greatly. And if I'm not, listening to those types of things as a coach I'm not doing my job correctly
0: yeah and I think like there's so much value like I get so much more out of actually like my quote-unquote like harder clients or like my difficult clients where like there's just like a lot of things maybe going on that we have to balance or maybe there's some anxiety that we're dealing with or maybe we're working through actually like again like this thought process of like constantly having to be doing something or training for a race or things like that Having a client like that, like it there's no point in my dialogue or in my coaching philosophy where I'm like, nope, you have to do it this way. There are some times where like I'm like, hey, safety-wise, like I'm going to tell you that I would say no to this. Cause like you doing maybe Tokyo and Boston back to back, probably not a great idea. As a five six hour marathoner, like that's not gonna that's not gonna end well. Like I wouldn't even do that, and like that's I've had a lot more experience than you have. Um, but that being said, I appreciate when clients give me feedback, give me pushback, ask questions because if I don't, even if I don't know the answer, one I say that upfront. I'm like, hey, I don't know this right now. I need to get more information. I need to reach out to my resources. I need to do more research before I answer this question for you, it's a great question and it applies specifically to you. Let me find you some information specifically for this for you. Um, and yeah, that, that relationship doesn't really exist. I would say in college sports, especially when you get up into like the D one level D two, maybe a little bit as well, depending upon where like that school is kind of like ranking. Um, but especially in D one. And so I have this like ability to reflect on my D1 experience now and like realizing that my experience was kind of jaded in the way that I was able to experience because I wasn't naturally gifted. Um, I am good as a runner and I consider myself a good runner. And I know that like I put in the work and I've done some pretty great things, but at the same point, it never came just like, it never clicked. It was never perfectly easy. Like I worked really hard all of the time for running because I loved it. And also because there was a bit of like in that those younger years, proving people wrong. Cause a lot of the people that I was being coached by put so much more attention towards the gifted athletes. And I was like, Hey, I'm worth your attention too. like, give me the attention that I deserve. Um, and it didn't always happen. And, but there were other coaches that saw that. And those were the coaches that kept me in it. Those are the coaches that me or prevented me from hanging up my shoes and like putting up my medals the last time and never coming back to practice. It was the coaches that finally like showed up and were like, Hey, I see you. I see you working. I see how much you care. I see how much you love your teammates. Like keep going, keep trying. You can do this. Um, but at the same regard, like you don't again, have that relationship necessarily with those coaches that are really competing at those high end levels. And I realize it now from a adult perspective that one, they don't have a ton of time. They also don't have a ton of money. Um, they're not getting paid very well themselves. And they are usually in charge of a hundred like different athletes. Cause usually cross country coaches in the collegiate world aren't just responsible for like cross country, but they're responsible for cross country and track um, indoor and outdoor. And like, you have to be on top of everything there. And the more that you place, the more, the better that your team does, the more money that the team gets, the more money that you get. And so like, there's very much this hierarchy depending upon your literal value and placement, which is something that like, as coaches, we're like, but your value doesn't necessarily have to dictate on a number or a place. And so like, we don't want to like perpetuate that, but now realizing like, that's the, that's even something that's trickling into the way that we value coaches in a collegiate sport that sends athletes into the elites and has athletes coming forward later in life and continuing to like run marathons and things like that. We're not valuing them even at that level. And I think that, that's something that we don't realize one is children, but then people that aren't in the sport and maybe don't go through the collegiate process, even realize like how much of like essentially a charity, a charity it is for runners to like have a coach at high school and collegiate level. <laughs> like they're not, do they're doing it because they love it. Not because they're getting paid well for it at all. <laughs>
1: And it, I mean, I, you know, in reading more about like learning more about coaching and how to coach and and the exercise science and sports science and all these things, like I cannot honestly think of a greater challenge than being, to be fair, a division one track and field and cross country coach. Because like Mm -hmm. you said, you know, one of the things that you and I have the privilege of doing as adult coaches working with a primarily adult population is to craft individualized training programs for the, for the individual person, right? We can look at this, you know, we can look at, you know, Jane and we can say, Jane, this is your life. This is your schedule. This is your availability. This is your experience. This is how last week's lactate threshold workout felt this we're going to do this week instead, you know, but when you are confronted with, like you said, you know, 40, 60, maybe 80 different students of varying ages, backgrounds, abilities, training status, injury status, and then have Mm -hmm. to say, I literally have to craft, Hey, and guess what? Today's a Tuesday workout. How that, how... How do you individualize? You can't, yeah. you cannot individualize. And we haven't even gone to this part, team dynamics and team culture, mm-hmm. right? So are your athletes literally competing with one another? Are they, you know, doing workouts incorrectly because they're always trying to do one-upsmanship each other? You know, like all of these things are such an integral, like it's such a balancing act on literally a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I think it's, you know, the great coaches and the ones that are able to do this correctly and and well are like, oh my God, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. But it also doesn't surprise me that some of these environments are lacking simply because the resources aren't there in order to support the environment that should be created.
0: Yeah. And I think part of it is just like uh, teaching people to communicate better, teaching coaches to communicate those things better. Um, Because again, as i've kind of like alluded my collegiate experience wasn't the best and like i now i don't necessarily like just blame like my coach for that like there probably were some things there yes in terms of that relationship but there was also some things that i probably could have done i probably could have learned to speak up for myself but i also was a child and didn't know if i could or not and i was like really just thankful to be on the team um and so there's like that dynamic, but at the same regard, there is a like semi-professional athlete that I have had the privilege of meeting here in Rhode Island. And like, he is a steeplechaser and he went to, he worked really, really hard through middle school and high school to eventually go to a D1 university as well. The, I think the biggest differences when I heard his story and like almost like kind of like compared it to mine, because he, again, he's, very gifted, but um still like explained like how hard he worked and how much he like really put into this sport. And like you can see in his trajectory and how he talks about it, like that it didn't just come easy. Like it was a lot of like continuous consistency over time and a lot of ups and downs in between. But when he went to college, I think the one difference between his coach and my coach and not saying one is wrong versus one is right. Again, they're just doing their jobs, but his coach took him aside and was like, Hey, you're at the back of the pack right now. I'm not going to give you a ton of attention in time. You just have to keep showing up and keep doing this. And if you keep doing this for the next four years, you're going to be in a completely different place as a runner. You're going to be in a place where you can truly compete at that high level. I see that in you. So just keep going. Even if I don't give you that recognition, keep going. And I think that chain, like, again, that for him as a child, still in college, um, helped him hone in and be like, okay, like, I get that. I'm probably not going to always have that one-on-one and that's fine. But like my coach said, if I keep going, if I keep showing up, if I keep doing what I need to do, and I'm patient with myself and I'm patient with my goals and I'm, I'm strategic on those goals and I don't create outlandish goals, which he never did. He kept like creating very small incremental things. Um, He'll get there one day. And he eventually got to the point where he qualified for like the USA um, track and field finals and like was able to go into that. And that was amazing for him. Um, And his goal now, like, he was like, once I get to that, like, I'll be able to be happy. And now he's like, well, I did it once. Let me try and do it again. <laughs> so, like, it just shows like the evolution of the athlete, but like also the fact that like again, that coach took that time to communicate that one simple thing. And like, I don't know if it was in those exact words, but it's like that one simple thing of like saying like, "Hey, this is the reality of the scenario, and this is where you need to go, and this is what you need to do. So, if you keep showing up, you can get there." And I think that is the moral of the story for all runners: like consistency is king, <laughs> staying with it is king. Um, Because it doesn't happen overnight. People think it happens overnight, but it really doesn't. It happens in 5, 10, 20 years of time and consistency and effort and a lot of ups and downs and a lot of tears and a lot of blood and a lot of sweat and a lot of discomfort <laughs> to get to where you want to be. That is something that I think is really missing
1: from the perspective that I will well, just, you know, obviously working mostly with adult recreational runners. That is really missing, I think, from how most people are approaching this sport, right? Because you have this guy at the time, young, you know, old adolescent, very young adult, right? Who has basically said... This is a four-year process. And he was like, all right, I'm in. It's going to take, you know, four, four years and no guarantees, but mm-hmm. I'm going to keep showing up every day. I'm going to keep doing my stuff. I'm gonna going to keep going. My workouts, I'm going to keep hitting the, you know, the weight room, um, you know, and we have adult runners who come to us and I, I completely understand this, right? I also, you know, I don't coach my, I pay somebody to coach me because I understand the value of it, you know, but when we have, I think adult recreational runners enter our worlds as coaches and they say, I'm handing you money every month. And I, and I think that for many people that for them, they then think they need to kind of maximize working with a coach as an always be training for something really specific and kind of challenging. Right. But like, I love when, when my, one of my athletes says to me, like, Hey, I want to take, like, I want to kind of take a bit of an off season. Like what might that look like? Right. Or I don't think I want to sign up for a race until next fall. Like, I'm like, awesome. Like, that's so cool. Right. I don't always have to be training for something just because you, just because you're working with a coach doesn't mean you always need to be signed up for the next big thing, but also that that expectation of that timeline is vastly skewed. Right. Like, and I get it. Like I said, it is, you know, a a relationship where you are paying somebody with the expectation that we're going to guide you towards the goals that you're trying to achieve, you know, but if I look at you and say, I'll be honest with you, this could take you five to 10 years, Mm -hmm. right? A lot of people in, you know, adult situations be like, okay, that's crazy. Like, I'm not going to, what? So I'm just supposed to like keep paying you every month. And like, you know, and like, well, it's literally, it's just, it's a process that takes so much longer than any one month or any one training cycle. And for a lot of these goals, longer than any one year. Mm -hmm. And the, the runners who get it and are bought in, like, I, you can see the shift. You can mm-hmm. see the shift occur in how they're approaching literally their daily runs because it's no longer about perfecting or executing or hitting the perfect splits on any one single workout. They get that it's about the big picture. They get that we're working on a really long timeline. Like all the individual things matter, mm-hmm. but it's not about the perfect out. it is about that long long term view and i think it's very freeing for the athletes once they get it and make that shift they're like oh i totally understand like and it takes the pressure off trying to be perfect all the time because there's no mm-hmm. such thing
0: yeah i that's probably one thing that like i'm i work through with like a lot of my athletes where they're like well like I'm not training for anything right now. Like, do I really need a like training plan? Do I really need like like for us to meet like on a call right now and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, maybe we don't need to necessarily meet on a call every month. And like, that's why I have like some like off menu, like training items for people that are going through either a off season or whatnot. And they just, or they are pretty like good with their stuff. And I'm like, okay, you you've done this like 10,000 times at this point working uh, with us working together. Like I can trust you to like, know what you're supposed to do here. And if you really need me, you're going to reach out. Um, But teaching those people that are like questioning almost the value, they're like, do I really need a coach during this time? Do I really need a training plan? And I'm like, yes, yes, you do. Because if, and I I put it to people, I'm like, if you don't have a plan and you wake up and you're like, what am I going to do today? (laughs) And you then like have to figure out what workout, what run, what lift, all of these different things that you maybe should be doing or could be doing, that's going to be very overwhelming. Pay a professional to do it because it's going to take you and me like half the time to put that stuff together because we're like, okay, like this is what your goal is right now. Like, or this is what your plan is right now in terms of off season or training for a race. This is probably what you should be doing. And we'll know your history as well. But when we have that disjointed connection, sometimes between training for a race and then they stop working with us and then they come back and it's like well then we have to put the pieces together from when we weren't working together and figure out what you were doing and then just like keep rolling from there but then it keeps stopping and starting and trying to find the the balance of making sure that people are getting value out of obviously working one-on-one with a coach and getting that individualized plan but also making sure that they have that accountability. They have that structure, even if it's flexible structure. Um, one of my friends that I was running with a couple of weeks ago, she was like, yeah, I pay my coach, even though right now I'm not even like following her plan very well or his plan very well. Um, I It at least gives me this flexible idea of what my week can look like. And I can like move it around and do things as ends up working for me in my life right now. And it's simply just about like knowing in a range of where I quote unquote should be or could be because I'm in the off season. It doesn't necessarily like matter. There's no ticking time clock, like counting down until something, but there, there is some like important, obviously markers. If we're building to come back to a training cycle, with a strong base because you don't want to just lose all of that. Like, yes, you should lose fitness after a race, but we don't want to lose it all. We don't want to just start from zero every single time. And that's where I think a lot of also like um, adult runners struggle because they're like, oh, I accomplished this thing. Now I'm done and I'm shutting it down for an extended period of time. And I'm like, but we shouldn't like, there should be some, some rest. Of course, it's important. Like I schedule in like at least two weeks, for my marathoners, I'm like, we're taking two weeks off. Um, and maybe you're doing like some runs in there, but like, there's like one, they're not happening for a full week. And then two, they're going to be super duper easy and they're going to be recovery, and They're going to be slow and they're going to probably still feel pretty sore and that's okay. Um, but then we're not getting back into like real structured training for another, like four, six weeks afterwards, whatever is in between that time is simply just getting back on feet. And again, trying to build back like that base after taking some time off and also having this extreme load that your body just went through. And that doesn't just apply to marathons that applies to even like 5k runners, like that are going through a cross country season or 5k runners as adults that are doing multiple five Ks over the course of the fall. You also need to take some time off, maybe not as much as a marathon, but you also do need to take some time off and then restructure building back up in that off season.
1: Yeah, I've seen more of that recently. And like, look, I get, you know, people's situations change, right? There are many reasons why somebody decides that coaching is no longer the right fit for them. But I completely agree with you in that, you know, one of the things I've really tried to communicate to the athletes who work with, you know, the running Explained coaching team, whether it's me or one of the coaches on my team is that you know, it's not an on-demand process, right? You can't just like take two weeks off and not have to pay for coaching for those two weeks. This is not, I don't even know what it is. Like, it's not like a meal subscription service, right? Like we, you know, yes, you are investing in your own, Athletic journey, but we are also invested in you emotionally time like our energy to understand you care about you learn who you who you are, and we really do want the best for you as the athlete and as the person, and if we're always like stopping starting stopping starting stopping starting and where there's no cohesion or like something happens and you take six weeks off and yeah, you six weeks off will significantly impact your fitness. Right. Mm -hmm. So then we have to build back from that, right. Or whatever it is. It's not to say that things don't happen because they do, but this whole process works a lot better if it can, can be thought of as a continuous process that is cyclical in nature, but it is, you are being guided with your coach in the journey. Um, I mean, and even for, and I would think you you probably identify with this as well, even when you have a very high level of knowledge about coaching and how to program training and how to write training plans, it's still extraordinarily challenging to apply that knowledge objectively to yourself, right? For <laughs> me, like left to my own devices, I will ask myself to do things that are too challenging, too much, too much volume, too many workouts. Right. Cause I'll think like, Oh, but this, you know, this, but Elizabeth, come on, you can do this. And it's like, then my coach looks at me and she's like, let's just tone it back a little bit. Like, you don't need to do that much threshold work this week. Right. Like your longer doesn't need to be that long. I'm like, no, you're right. Because you see things, you hold me to a realistic standard. I hold myself to an impossible standard. And mm-hmm. that's what coaching is really helpful for as well.
0: Yep. Yeah. I totally agree with that. And like, And I've been, I've been running for 18 years now. And like, I still like, I've texted my coach and be like, uh, so I'm not sure I have the fitness for this. Do I, do I have the fitness for this? I'm not positive. I got sick. Like, can you, can, I know that this is probably just like my like anxious brain and like my ego talking maybe, or what, like whatever that is. But I, I need you to reinforce that. Like, I'm going to do okay. (laughs) Um, And like, I even just did it this past weekend where I had a long run workout and I tried to put the, it was some hill work um, in terms of like pickups uphill. And then then afterwards I was supposed to go into a tempo and I thought that I was putting it at a relatively, like, I knew it was some rolling hills, but on the downhill and I was wrong. And like, I ended up like doing the tempo on a relatively like, harder, like uphill course (laughs) that yes, eventually went downhill. But, um, I was looking at my watch the entire time and I'm like, I'm like 30 seconds off of where I'm supposed to be. Like, what? And like, I feel like I'm hitting my pace. Like, why is this so hard? What is going on? And I had to like, be like, Lauren, just, just do the pace, just do the effort or not do the pace, do the effort that, you know, that is supposed to be like what this pace would equate to. Um, and Afterwards, I was like, we're just going to ignore it. We're just going to finish the workout, do the the rest of the long run easy as you're supposed to. And then you can like look at it afterwards. And I looked at it afterwards and I was still like, okay, like, yeah, my paces were definitely off. But then I looked at the elevation chart and I was like, okay, that's probably why like that makes sense. But even still, I like wrote a message to my coach and I was like, I'm really kind of frustrated by this. Like I thought that I was like in a better place and like, I haven't had a frustrating workout in a while. But again, like even that's cyclical because probably the last time that I had a frustrating workout was a couple of weeks before. And I think that's where I really followed the rule of thirds. I love teaching that to my clients where like one third of your workouts are going to go great. One third of them are just going to be okay. And one third of them are going to be trash. This past weekend was my one third that was trash and it wasn't even really trash. It just like felt like trash because I couldn't get what I thought I was capable of, Um, and so really like there was probably a lot of quality in there and I just needed to reach out to my coach to like reassure me and be like, yeah, you, like you did that on a harder, like elevation gain than maybe you could have or needed to. Um, but you probably got a lot of fitness from that. So like, just walk away with it for, with the win and move on. Like it's a quarter in the bank and like you did it and now it's time to just like progress forward. Um, but I think a lot of runners also constantly use running as a test of their fitness and we can't constantly be testing our fitness. Like it's not made that way. Um, we aren't made that way to constantly be working on this, like extreme high. Um, you have to give your body time to recover and like see those ebbs and flows in your workout and see over the course of a month, okay, well, now that workout got a little bit easier when you did it again. Or over the course of six months, oh, wow, like I'm running a little bit longer. My pace has like maybe shifted slightly. Amazing. And then even a year, a year and a half out, that's when you really see those big changes. And you're like, wow, compared to where I was a year and a half ago to where I am now, that's pretty incredible. Like that's a big change. And those changes come a little bit far and fewer in between as you get, as you're a better athlete, as you get faster. Like I haven't had a PR since 2019. I don't know if I'm ever going to get another PR. Like who knows? I'm not sure because I did come very close to what me and my coach feel as like a, a a peak in my fitness level. Like I was performing at a really high standard when I was in college and then slightly afterwards. And so it's like, do I have more? maybe probably I'm still pretty young. Um, but like when that's going to happen, if that's going to happen, like, again, that that's just a matter of me staying with it and staying consistent and like having the perfect race day come through. And like, there's again, never guarantees for that.
1: It's, I mean, the the timeline thing is so interesting. You know, I'm just putting together this, uh, a course called the Foundations of Running, and it's basically like the kind of essentials that you need to know about, you know, and training as a distance runner about like progressive overload and and training cycle one hundred and one and like you know training intensity and like what lactate threshold really means, like all these types of things. One of the things that I was even in like putting this together, and of course I always like to brush up on like, hey, make sure what I'm communicating is like legit, like scientifically legit. Going through the process of looking at the timelines that these all these and we're talking honestly probably thousands of different types of adaptations that you accrue training as a distance runner from like you know neuromuscular to you know enzymatic to metabolic to skeletal muscle fiber but like these things are on such long time frames we're talking like you know yeah you may see small changes in fitness from like week to week or month to month but the real stuff doesn't show up for 12 weeks six months, 12 months, 24 months, right? Mm -hmm. And then it is that continual process of like, if all it took were six months to reach your peak, then we wouldn't have our amazing elite marathoners in their late thirties still hitting PRs. Right. Like this would not be possible. Like Sarah Hall would have, you know, her career would have been done when she was 22 and she's 39. And she recently ran a marathon PR and like recently set the American women's half marathon record. Like that shouldn't be possible if it all it took were six months or one year or two years of training to reach our peak. And that I think is when, like I said, we really zoom out and understand that it takes, if we're really trying to maximize what we're capable of doing we are looking on a long, long time frame, Right. Mm-hmm. And we need to really take the pressure off ourselves to perform in any one certain way. And I did the same thing as you, Lauren. I've had like, I, I just ran a half marathon last month, like for my big fall race. And I had work, like I was running training through the summer. It was very hot and humid. And I'll like text my coach and be like, I just want to let you know, the reason I was so slow on this run is because <laughs> it was 95 degrees outside and 90% humidity. And she's like, okay, like, It's so you, like, it's fine. It's fine. (laughs) Like Like, we're good. Right. But like, we have this, I think intrinsic, like, you know, we like trying to prove ourselves, we're trying to prove ourselves to ourselves, but I think we're also trying to reassure ourselves and, and like, you know, and for me, and I think it's something that we all struggle with, but for really it's about that confidence, right? Mm -hmm. Can I be confident that I'm heading in the right direction, even if every single day does not objectively prove that. And that is about just putting in the work right? And getting and detaching yourself from specific workout metrics and just doing the work, showing up, doing the work.
0: Yeah. Um, I think seeing, so I remember again, when I was in college, I keep referencing that today, but when I was in college, I remember like hearing people say how, like in terms of females peaking in endurance sports, like it happens in late twenties to early thirties. And now we're just seeing more and more like, female athletes like destroying that and like one it's just so gratifying to watch but it also is like very encouraging for like also like the average population over here that like hey we can still get better like even though like we think or research keeps saying that like oh my god like runners shouldn't be able to do this or especially female runners shouldn't be able to do this after a certain period of life um, we're, we're showing and we're proving otherwise. And like, as a female, I'm like, yes, like, this is great. Um, and that then gives the self-confidence that, Hey, there's maybe, there is probably a, maybe more that I can push into this and see how far I can go with this. Um, and then, oh my God, what was your second point that you were saying in terms of, oh, you're looking at your, um, training and like justifying to yourself in the confidence. Again, I've done that where like, I I sent a comment to my coach on another run where like I finished it was just an easy run and I finished the easy run by taking my dog with me and like my pace dropped by like two minutes because his pace is a little bit slower than mine um and I just like was like just want to let you know I didn't die I took my dog with me and like he didn't need to know that he probably realized that like I came home and like because he could see the map like like there was no reason for me to send that except to justify to myself that like, this wasn't because I died. It wasn't because I couldn't handle the run. It's because, or I went out too fast. It was because I took my dog. Um, but I think that also comes in with the confidence, like that we're trying to prove to ourselves something that I don't think I ever experienced when I was a like teenager and even in a collegiate sport, I never questioned whether I was a runner. I just knew that I was a runner. Like, I was like, yeah, I'm a runner. I'm on a cross country team. I'm on a track team. I run in college. Like, I run for fun over the summer and like hang out with my teammates. Like, of course, I'm a runner. Like, there's no question. But moving later into life, not having that same team atmosphere, coming into more kind of solo endeavors and still being on a team in terms of like, My coach has other athletes and I have athletes. And like, I consider us a team and trying to build a community now, like on Instagram and things like that, um, and doing like virtual events and even some in-person events, but it's a little bit different. And then when you're exposed constantly all the time to what you see on social media and these standards and these expectations, that was the, probably the time where I was like, but am I a runner? Like, I don't know if I am. Cause there were times where I would take multiple years off from like competitive running and I would still be running, but I wasn't competitively running. So I'm like, am I still a runner? Do I have value in this community? Should I be telling runners what to do? Do I have coaching value here? And like, again, going through that, like imposter syndrome, which I think all runners go through, not even like, not even necessarily on like the coaching side of things, but um, even just like wondering if we belong and like, again, metrics and these Things that fit into boxes make it really easy for us to be like, oh, yes, I run under 10 minute pace for my easy pace. I'm absolutely a runner. And it's like, yes, yes, you're a runner, but not because of that. (laughs) And so that I don't know if you ever experienced that with coming into running later in life. And like, it was just a very weird experience for me because I realized it like recently within the past couple of months that I was like, I never questioned my identity as a runner until after I became an adult and had been running for 10 plus years so of course I was a runner but why did I start questioning my identity then it was because of all these other outside influences and what people were saying running should be or looks like type of thing
1: yeah and I think that what what does a runner look like I think is the most I'll say kind of insidious thing that is you know honestly like a problem it's a problem and um that a runner should look a certain way that a runner and a runner is always somebody who looks fast and by that we mean is thin with very low body fat that are you know and I had an experience where about 18 months after I started running I totally burned out and I, I did coincidentally luckily for me in the long run no pun intended I actually broke my toe so oh, I dropped wow. a ladder on my foot and I broke my pinky toe which meant that I I couldn't run for a while anyways but it was also beneficial because it was, I was essentially hitting this period of, I've been training for 18 months. I'd run a couple of marathons. I went from zero to freaking forever, like everything overnight practically. And I didn't know what easy running was. So I hit this very natural point of burnout. Right. So I took about six months of vastly really, like, I didn't run at all for at least a month. And then looking back at my garment, I think, you know, one month I ran like 17 miles. And what, in the next month I ran like six miles. Right. But i never stopped wearing my Garmin watch. I still identified as a runner, which that was really interesting during that time. Like, even though I wasn't running, I was like, oh, but I, I very much am a runner. But then interestingly enough, when I transitioned into the coaching space and becoming a coach, and now this is something that I, this is literally my full-time job. I am a full-time professional running coach. And I am a, I've run six marathons. I have qualified for Boston. I like, I have, I've run like all like these things that are objectively on paper. Like, yeah, she's a runner, you know, that of course, but you know, I've never had very low body fat currently. I'm not in PR shape and absolutely. I have prob- less recently, cause I've been doing a lot of work on myself, but had moments of huge doubt and insecurity where like, I didn't even want to tell people what I did for a living. Cause I felt that they would look at me and say, and
0: think and judge that like, you don't look like a runner. Like, Oh, you know, oh, I've like, had people you know, come right out and say, right. It to me that like, I was, when crazy. I qualified for Boston in 2017 and I ran 2018, I was training and a person that I worked with that, like, I wasn't even like friendly with but like he overheard me talking to one of like my patients at the time because that's when I was still working in traditional healthcare, and said that I was like training for Boston Marathon and he was just like you're running Boston and I was like yeah I qualified And he was like you look a bit thick to be a distance runner and I was like cool <laughs> and like now I'm like yeah I am thick like I don't care like I am built like a sprinter I am built like what people like in aesthetically think of in terms of that um because now I see it as like my like like dark horsepower like no one expects me to like come out and actually be where I am and like I do I've always loved proving people wrong it's probably it's probably a complex um but it's something that like now I'm like yeah I am strong because I do spend time in the gym and I am strong because I lift really heavy weights and that makes me feel powerful as well as running really fast that makes me also feel really powerful um but it's it is crazy like that people create this idea of what you should look like if you're doing this thing or you're in this profession and that's not the case like there's so many variances and there's so many different coaches that are out there that are available for people to meet the needs of the person in front of them cuz like you and i might not be the right coach for a certain individual. They may need somebody that's completely different to them. And that's perfectly fine because there's so many of us out there that are going to provide hopefully that service and that support that that person is needing. Um, but hopefully like we can all come together as coaches and create an environment, which I know not some are, but hopefully the majority are creating an environment that we support and we create this community that accepts runners regardless of what the look is. And it's more just about going out for that run
1: or to judge somebody as their coaching ability based on their PRs. right? Yeah. And I think, you know, if, if all it took for somebody to be an exceptional coach were to run really fast, then Elliot Kipchoge would be the world's greatest coach, right? Or I guess Kelvin Kiptum would be the world's greatest coach yeah. right at this point, right? It would be the world's greatest <laughs> coach. Um, and obviously when, you know, we can see it at the highest level. And I think for some reason it's more acceptable at the, at the very top end of our sport where, Clearly, when you have these world class runners being coached, their coaches are not current like they are are in most cases not also of that world class. Like they're very talented runners and probably have a lot of knowledge, you know, but it's rare that you would find, let's say, you know, a 206 marathoner for a guy being coached by somebody with a faster PR.
0: Mm-hmm. right?
1: Like, no, your coach is not going to be running as fast as you. It doesn't mean they're not an incredible coach. Yeah. Right. And there have even been some of the most famous coaches in the endurance running space who like didn't run, like <laughs> who were just incredible exercise scientists and yeah. enthusiasts and passionate about endurance, but they were not quote unquote good athletes themselves. And that actually has nothing to do with their coaching ability. So you know, it's interesting to me when I have athletes, uh, potential coaching athletes come to me and kind of insinuate that they want to work with somebody who's run the times that they're trying to achieve, you know, sometimes it does make sense because it is the right personality match. But sometimes it's like, you know, why do you think that you need somebody to have run a Boston qualifying time if you're trying to run a Boston qualifying time, right? Like that coaching knowledge and experience working with athletes of all calibers isn't ex- like, they don't have to have necessarily qualify or whatever the metric is that they're trying to achieve, run a sub four marathon or run a two hour half marathon. They don't necessarily need to have achieved that personal metric in order to coach you to be able to do it. Right. Yeah. Like I'm not, I haven't run a sub three marathon, but I can absolutely coach a sub three marathoner. Right. So I think that's something that's interesting too. It's like, you know, cause I think when probably implicitly, sometimes explicitly when an athlete is choosing a coach, they're probably in the back of their mind, probably also trying to choose a role model. Right. And say mm-hmm. like, well, if that person's done it, they can, they've literally what they can tell me how to do it too, because they've oh my already God, done the, it.
0: It's the running version of what I eat in a day.
1: Oh God. Yes. <laughs> if I eat this, I'll look like them. Yeah.
0: And it's like, <laughs> if I hire this coach, I'll run like them. Oh my exactly. God. You just yeah. blew my mind. <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah, that's absolutely that. Yeah. For some people, that's definitely what it is, where they're looking for somebody to, like, essentially model them into this. And yes, of course, like, if, depending upon the the coach that you have, they're hopefully practicing what they preach to you and but that doesn't necessarily, again, mean like their times are going to reflect that because again, they're a different human being, a different athlete. They are a different, they come from different genetics. They have different goals. They have different stressors. They're coaching a bunch of athletes probably. And so like that kind of restricts us sometimes in terms of what our capacity is for our own racing. Um, and I know that that's part of like been my balance too. I'm like, I have all of these people. I just hit my mic. Um, I have all these people that I care about in their racing and their goals. And like, I have to, like, I'm putting again, so much energy out and focus on them. Cause I really do care that they do well and they feel confident and they can walk away with some formable win, whether it is a PR or something else. Um, I don't have too much energy for myself, which is one why I hire somebody to tell me what to do. Um, because I don't have the capacity to create that for myself anymore. And two, like that helps keep me accountable towards my goals. And like, I, again, ebbing and flowing with like, when I'm also going to put that priority for myself and realizing, Hey, if I'm going to make that a priority for me too, that probably means that my capacity for how much I'm doing in my own coaching and like my business side of things has to pull back a little bit. Cause like, I can't be training 40 hours a week and like putting all of that mental and emotional effort into my own training. And at the same time doing that for other athletes as well, which I think is something that we battle with probably as coaches and especially as females, um, because we care and we want to do more and we want to be supportive, but also because like in terms of financial stability and like all of these other things, like we're, we, we want to do all of the things versus like one or the other. And sometimes It has to be one or the other, or has to like ebb and flow with where you are in life and that cyclical side of things.
1: And I think this is something again, talking, you know, thinking that, yeah, we're, we're just humans too, who also like to run and have our own goals. This is something that I think is the biggest battle with all of my adult coaching clients. Um, and, and for me personally, is that understanding, how everything else that's going on in your life is going to affect your ability to train. And that in certain situations, in certain periods of your life, Hey, guess what? You have time and ability for very little, (laughs) right? Because of all these other work stress, right? Uh, like I have one client who recently purchased another company and like, he was in paperwork and meetings for that for like weeks and weeks and weeks and like training tolerance way down. Mm -hmm. Right. So, and that's, expected and normal but without a coach to kind of point that out to you and say hey you know maybe this time of when you're moving across the country and also are dealing with a promotion at work and also your spouse is now traveling twice a, a week like maybe now's not the time to sign up for a marathon you know yeah. um but but like i said kind of holding ourselves to an impossible standard you know we i don't want to say that it's because we're delusional i think it's because we we, we believe so greatly in our own ability. It just the, the application of that belief sometimes is not correct. <laughs> in yeah. that we push ourselves way too hard in certain areas and don't understand how to find that balance.
0: Yeah. That's something that I also talk about like very often in terms of um, how much stress people are under and like all of the things that they're dealing with, with their life. I was actually just talking with a client last night who just like, she just started a new job. So she ended her last job, started a new job. She got COVID right before that. And now she's sick again and like heading into the holidays. And I'm like, she, she hasn't been following her training plan at all. And I'm like, okay, like, that's fine. Like this is a transition period. Like if you were following it, you'd be a machine. Like, That's, we are going to kind of reorganize and regroup. And how do we just get you back in the door? How do we meet you where you're at and make the threshold so low so that you can get some wins and build back step by step? And because right now you are just surviving. You are literally just trying to keep your head above water. And like her, again, to clarify, her training wasn't in like out of whack with what her expectations were. Again, where she was communicating with me with what she wanted was a little bit off from then these other life things that were then happening. And I would get the trickle down information of that kind of like afterwards. And I was like, oh, okay. So we're not actually following the training plan here. And that's fine. Again, I'm not mad about that. I just want you to be safe. I want you to be happy and I want you to be healthy. And I want you to come back into training at a place that fits you appropriately, because if you haven't been doing this, then you don't want to jump in here. And then realizing something that I've realized, especially with like accounting for life and different stressors and things that are on our plates and like responsibilities that we have to take account for, uh, there's going to be times in your life where you are going to be so stressed out the idea and the physical, like thought or physical act of racing is going to be damn near impossible. Like your body is not going to allow you to do that because it literally knows if you push into these ranges right now, if you stress me out even a little bit more and stress me out to the point where it's something that even you're just like electively putting me under, I will break. I will either get really sick or I will burn out or I will get injured and I will stop you from doing it 100% completely right now, because you're pushing into a realm where I don't have any more capacity. We're already overflowing in the amount of things that we have on our fleet. Racing is not the priority. And I think realizing that your body is that smart, your body will stop you and protect you. It's not because your body's working against you. It's actually because your body is smarter than you. And it's like, Hey, you're not listening to all of these like alarm bells that we've been putting off and telling you to stop and slow down and like, take care of yourself. And recovery is probably more of what you need versus another workout. And it's not recovery by like using Norma tech boots. It's going to bed earlier, <laughs> taking an extra hour and sleeping in, instead of getting up and doing that workout, um, more food, eating more food, <laughs> eating more food. And doing those things for nutrition purposes and hydrating appropriately. So many people are so dehydrated. I'm like, how do you live? How do you how do you function with so little water <laughs> as a husk? <laughs> um, and that's what's like your body's going to tell you when it feels safe again. Your body like you'll start to see those signs of like being able to push a little bit more in your workouts. When you start to do workouts again, you'll start to be able to see that you are getting excited at the thought of racing versus getting anxiety from it. And you'll see those little signs that like that life, that that edge that you want, that you want to compete for will come back. You just have to respect that there's like a time and a place for it. I've just went through that cycle. And like, I was at a point where I was like, I don't know if I'm ever going to do some road races again, maybe, but I've been in such a stressed mode that like, this just feels terrible right now. Like the thought of racing. I'm like, Nope, I don't want to do that ever again. Like I have no interest. And I was there and I was like supporting my clients racing. I was supporting my friends and I was like, you guys are crushing it. But like, that's not for me. And even I would have friends be like, come run this race with me. And I'm like, Nope, I don't want to like, I don't even want to be around a race. And over the course of a couple of months of, I didn't stop running. I don't, I wouldn't consider myself like burning out. It wasn't burning out in the respect of like, I did too much in running regards. It was just too much from life. Cause I still was able to go to work. I was still able to fuel myself appropriately. I was still able to like continue running and not have like this disjointed relationship of like, Oh no, I need to stop completely. It was more of like, I just want to run for the fun of it again and enjoy like going out for a 30 minute jog with no expectations or no goals. And I'll come back to that eventually and have goals eventually. Um, But over time, over the past couple of months, I've been able to get back into workouts and be like, okay, these are uncomfortable, of course, because they're workouts, but I'm enjoying them and I'm seeing progress from them. And I actually want to be around races and I want to go see these cross-country championships and I want to see my friends do well in races. And now I want to do races again. And it happened slowly over time where my body literally told me this is safe to do now. You are in a good place to do this now, mentally, emotionally, physically. It is on the table for you to race without putting yourself at risk.
1: Unfortunately, I think that we've normalized for most people, and again, especially for women, but I see this with a lot of, I would call my, my, uh, high performing, high achieving male clients who are, you know, men who have very, are very high achieving in other areas of their life, who have these like incredibly high standards for what they expected themselves athletically. But I think for like almost every woman I know in general, this also absolutely applies and that we've normalized this essentially like insane expectation of what quote unquote normal life stress should look like that for most people is so, and we're not, and then we're not sleeping enough we're not eating enough. Right. So people you know, we're working full-time jobs, you have family, you know, you are, you know, kids in multiple places at once and then you got the dog and you know, maybe somebody in the family is sick, but it's just like the normal expectation of everyday life stressors. I think most people don't understand how much of an impact that has because everybody has it to some degree, right? And it's also
0: evolved with yes. how much we're exposed to. Like I yes. was I was talking about that with a client the other day of how it's evolved since COVID um with every in like social media and just what we are being exposed to on a worldwide level, like it used 24 to just be seven. like, yeah, like we used to just be in a bubble in our neighborhoods and like know the stressors that were going on in those neighborhoods, which is why there were such tight knit communities. But now everybody's connected to everybody via social media, via phones, via screens. And we see everything and we hear everything and our nervous systems are not designed for that like we are not equipped to be getting the amount of information that we are getting in on a daily basis and like we are on overload and then you just that's just one side of things like that's not your personal life or your business or anything else that like may be impacting you and then you add on trying to run and race and a lot of runners again like with like Just me thinking like weight loss and things like that. Like the idea, like that's why, like, weight loss isn't just this easy thing of like a deficit because there's so many things that are feeding into it, the same way it feeds into running and racing and all these other kind of like avenues that we have with life.
1: I say one of the things I like to teach my athletes that like everything has a cost and most things also have a benefit, but everything has a cost. Right. And so you have to decide is it worth it? Is the cost worth it to you? And is it something you can literally afford to do? Right. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah, you could race two half marathons in back to back weekends. The cost is very high, right? And the cost at that comes with the fact we need more post race recovery, right? It's gonna we need to train for this specifically. It's gonna be cost more than just training for one half marathon, right? But the benefit also could be great, you know, two races back to back. You don't know, you know have other benefits there and gain some fitness and gain some experience and all these types of things. But you know that same way with things like weight loss or strength training, right? Where it's like, okay, so if you choose to pursue body composition. Position changes, and you're going through weight loss, like literally being in a caloric deficit is going to cost you. It's going to mm-hmm. cost you energy. It could cost you some hormonal functioning if you're doing it wrong, right. Could cost you your ability to like repair and recover effectively. So although there may be a benefit in the long run in that, for some reason, this would be a benefit for you, there's going to be a cost associated with that. So you then can't pile on more costs and say, well, I'm also going to do a bunch of really intense training right now during this weight loss phase, like that cost yeah. becomes unbearable. And I think having, you know, and I also get this question too, because everybody wants to the black and white answer is this good is this bad i'm like well it's not necessarily good or bad the context matters and for you personally it also matters right so if i have an athlete come to me and say i want to do this thing is that a good idea i'll say well it's not we could make it happen if we approached it like this and shifted this around and did this instead i was like and but in in a situation where you've already said you also want to do this other thing I don't think it's a great idea. Right. So this, this all the whole thing about like, when a coach would say like, it depends, Mm -hmm. it really does depend very little in our world is a black or white, yes or no good or bad. But I think helping uh, people understand this, like everything has a cost, even if there's a benefit, how much will it cost? How big is the benefit? And is it worth it to you?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have a lot of people come to me with questions about that when they're like, six weeks or eight weeks away from a marathon and they're starting to experience pain. And they're like, do you think I can still run the marathon? And I'm like, well, maybe, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, It's a great question. I don't know for sure. Like if we start working together today and this week, like I can probably get you to some point, but whatever goal that you probably had with running that marathon, we may need to let go of like we like your goal at this point should just be maybe completing that marathon. And if you're going to do it, regardless of what I am saying, then yes, we should start working together today and I will do my best to support you. Like that's, that's the best answer that I can give you, but I cannot promise you anything in those regards. Like, cause you're an adult and you're going to make your own decisions, but like, understand that like, if you do this, it's probably going to result in this. Um, And if you push more than like is recommended and you don't listen to your body and you don't take on like, these recommendations in terms of like I I tell people if you're going to go run a marathon and you've been experiencing pain like I give them very clear like instructions in terms of if you feel this at all like stop and if you don't listen to that you're probably not going to be walking the next day um and again it's because people are adults people are going to do what they're going to do I'm going to educate them on what the most safest option and like person like making sure that they have the most longevity in running option is. But if they're going to do it regardless, I'm like, all right, let's buckle up and like figure out how we're going to do this together to support you. Um, But please understand the consequences here because I cannot promise that like magically this is just going to be like sunshine and rainbows because it's probably not. Um,
1: And also like, I think it's really important to point out because we talk about like the ways that we, you know, want to keep our clients safe. And, you know, it's not to say that we can't help you do really cool, hard, interesting, challenging, incredible things, but those things aren't going to happen every week or every month. Mm -mm. They may not even happen every year. And like the, with the higher, the peak that you're trying to achieve, the longer it's going to take to get there. And then the more recovery you need after it. Right. And I've had more and more conversations recently with athletes who are, um, looking at content creators on YouTube who are doing crazy things for YouTube with regards to running about like X number of marathons and X number of days or like just, you know, stuff that's content creator. Right. Yeah. And I have to point out to them that like, Hey, look, this person's job is to do things that are Totally at the one end of the spectrum, and are not going to be healthy, appropriate, or a good idea for ninety nine point nine percent of you out there, and probably aren't even a good idea for that person long term, anyways, right? Like the other thing too is that when we're looking to influencers or content creators for training, advice, or guidance, or like modeling what they're doing, that person is providing you with a persona, and like, I mean, how often we know reality TV isn't real, right? It's scripted. Like a content creator may be filming content and then like editing it and showing it to you in a way that makes it look like they're doing one thing when actually what, how it actually happened, what it came together in a different way. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, it's really important to understand, like, where are you getting your information from? Is this person, and saying you can't find those people inspiring and like super cool to look up to, but in terms of, who you are trying to model your training or like your expectations for certain things and certain results and your ability to do certain things. Like who are you looking towards? And is that realistic?
0: Yeah, And is that even possible? And that kind of goes into your point of like with The risk versus reward. When you're looking at, like, I've had runners like compare themselves to me, compare themselves to other runners and see all these other things. And they're like, well, they're doing this. Like, I want to be able to do that. And I'm like, well, you are a parent with two kids, and that person is just a like solo person that is in a relationship with two incomes and like has that availability. They're going to have a different life than you, and they have different like, training availabilities and stressors than you do and your life is definitely different now that doesn't mean that it's not possible but you need to realize that you guys are coming at this from two different playing fields and then on top of that if you're really emulating what somebody else is doing one yes vet them kind of know what that type of person this person is in terms of like their experience level and like their credibility but also Can you, if this is somebody with credibility, with a good experience, with knowledge base, are you going to be able to commit to all of the things that they are doing, all of the investments that they are taking and putting in to achieve these dreams and achieve these goals? Because it is a full-time job when you really are that invested. Like people that are running sub three-hour marathons that are going for OTQs, those people, it is their freaking life whether they have another job or not, it is their life where they are just putting day in and day out. Everything that they do is revolved around their training, where most of us, everything that we do is revolved around our work and our personal life. And then we build training in around that. For them, they build training in first because that's their priority. And then everything else from there trickles in. There's not one right way. It's just recognizing that there's, going to be different avenues of which people are attacking these things. And if you're going to try to come to the playing field and be like this other person, but you aren't one recognizing that you're coming at it from two different sides. And you're also not able to invest the same amount of energy and time and all of these resources that have to go into it, then you're probably not going to get the same result. And that's fine. You just have to recognize that like, if you want those results, there's going to be sacrifices that you need to make. And like, are those sacrifices realistic to you right now? Or are they going to cause more harm than good?
1: And there's nothing wrong with going through phases of training where you are in the latter camp where you are saying like, no, this really matters to me. Mm -hmm. My partner and my family's on board. Like they know that the next four months is all about me. I am making time for all of the things, but that's probably not a year round process commitment for Mm -hmm. most people. And I mean, even for people, it's not to say that you can't reach your goals without going, quote unquote, all in, like most of us, you can get great results, just be like consistent and dedicated over long periods of time and doing what you're supposed to be doing with the time you have available. But it's like, if you're really looking at those people, you know, okay, answer me, honestly, potential, you know, client, do you have the 14 to 16 hours per week of training? easy running workouts, long runs, strength training, mobility work, warm ups, cool downs, foam rolling, like all these things. Oh, and also you massage, need to make sure recovery. You massage, make sure you're sleeping nine hours a night and your meal prepping all the time. Do you have, do you literally have time to do that? Mm-hmm. Right? Most people do not. And there's nothing wrong with that, but then don't expect that you can don't, don't try to shoehorn that into your life. Cause you're mm-hmm. only going to end up burning out and being really disappointed because you had completely unreasonable expectations for what you were trying to achieve based on the phase of life you're currently in.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to say something, cause like you've been watching this the entire time, cause we are um, recording this with like hammers right now, but you talked about how like content creators that are like putting this out for like clickbaity stuff, like they may be editing it so that it looks a certain way. So for those of you that obviously can't see and are just listening to this conversation, I went to the dentist earlier today and like half my face is like paralyzed still from the dentist, from getting, it's numby. looking much better. <laughs> it's slowly getting better. The more that we talk, the more, that the better that it's getting. But that's partially why I've like tripped over my words a couple of times. Cause like, I'm literally numb on half of my face, but I went up on my stories today and I actually put a like video of like me talking immediately afterwards. Cause I just thought it was hilarious. And I think for me, I also want to make sure that people understand, like, I also don't have thousands of, like, I have a couple of th- I have like a thousand followers. I think I have like 1700. Woo! it's amazing. But like, It's me running my Instagram page. There's nobody else behind me. And like, that's why like the content that comes out is going to be somewhat variable at times, but you're also going to get like these random relatable moments from me because I also want you to know that one, I'm not going to use filters. I'm not going to like make things like look prettier than they actually are. I'm going to let you know that like, I'm also a human and I struggle. And I sometimes have half my face numb during a work day. And when I'm interviewing people and trying to be professional and like, that's just, that's life. Um, And I think you're very much the same way. Cause like I've gotten on um, recordings with you and you're like, I'm just finishing up this post. And like, you're literally in, in the trenches doing it at the same time and trying to show up and be the most like authentic person that you can be on your account.
1: It's hilarious to me when I get like DMs being like, Hey guys, I'm like, no, first of all, no men. And also just me, like literally just me. Nobody else has the password to my Instagram account. It is literally just me. Like, yes, (laughs) I have coaches who coach for me on my coaching team. Every other aspect of my business is literally just me and like an account I just hired. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> Do my bookkeeping. Um, and so, I mean, yes, talk about like stress and like it's probably not sustainable, but it's been a heck of a lot of fun. But I think that's also the thing too, is that like, I've also never tried to make my work at Running Explained the Elizabeth show. Like, Mm -hmm. this is not about me as a running, like I barely even talk about myself and like what I'm doing because it's not about me specifically. And like, yes, of course my experience as a runner and as a coach informs the work that I do, like we all go through the same challenges and struggles and joys as runners. And that obviously is something that like everybody as a runner goes through, but like, it's not about like, Oh, look at my workout splits or like, Mm -hmm. Oh, look at what I ate for dinner. Or it's not even like, Ooh, look at the shoes I'm wearing. And some people ask me for that kind of stuff, but it's like it's not really what I want to be about, right? Like, I don't want to be about a person like it does. I don't want this to be about me. I want it to be about you, right? I want it to be about the runner. I want it to be about, like, understanding, like, and educating you how you can become a better informed, better, you know, a more confident runner, whether you're trying to run your first 5k or go get that OTQ. And so, you know, I think it's, it's tough to walk that balance sometimes. And I have mm-hmm. been obviously in the changing landscape of social media kind of been like, should I make it more like influencery? Like I, some people like, but that's so does not come naturally to me. I was down in New York uh, for the marathon just for the day a couple of weeks ago. And I, I have like three pictures. Like I am the worst social media content creator on the planet. Like it didn't even cross my mind to take like photos of myself doing things. <laughs> so yeah, obviously that's not going to happen anytime soon, but I mean, I feel you too. It's like trying to run you oh, know, it's your business and balance. your Yeah. And then like, yeah, it's really tough.
0: I'm like, it, I, it's so unnatural to film yourself. And like I, like, I think of these things and I'm like, oh, I should do this. Like me and my boyfriend went to a run club the other night and like, we were both decked out and it was nighttime and like it decked out in like safety gear. And I'm like, I should like, just like take a picture of us and like, be like, like running in the nighttime or something like just post something in regards to and like with a witty caption so that to like kind of promote running safety and I forgot I like completely I like finished my run and I was after eight miles and I was like yeah no I'm just tired (laughs) and I need to go to the bathroom and I need to change and like immediately like afterwards I was like well that's that was that was a great idea (laughs) there was no execution (laughs) Um, and it's really hard to constantly like be filming your life or things like that. Like if you're like trying to like put that up there um, and create that, especially when you're in a client serving like job, because like your priority is just serving your people. And I I won't forget this. Like I remember like listening or reading to um a like post on Instagram that like the people that are doing the most don't necessarily have like the biggest followings. Mm-hmm they're the people and they, they may be not on Instagram every day. They're the people out there doing the actual work that are working with the people that are creating the change. And that's not to say the people that with big followings don't have that and aren't doing that as well. But so many people also judge a content, like judge somebody by like their Instagram or judge somebody by like the blue tick mark on their Instagram now. And it's like, Let's again, get more curious about like what their actual experience and knowledge base and all of these things are actually going to be that are going to help you versus potentially just be, because I've, I've heard so many stories of people getting like scammed by other creators out there that have said they create these programs and like that they're individual and they're not. And then people get hurt, people don't end up getting the results that they're looking for. And like, there's just disappointment and hurt. And like, it's just sad that that exists out there. Um, But I think that encourages people to be more inquisitive about who they're working with, which I think is you do discovery calls as well, correct? Always. yeah, Yeah. Same So I always do discovery calls. Like anybody that wants to work, like no one working with me has not done a discovery call. Like they have done some form of like betting on my end because I'm like, one, I need to know that we're going to get along, that we're going to be able to like shoot the shit on on our conversations. Um, and that we're going to enjoy working together, but two, that like, I'm actually going to be the right person to help you. And like, that should also be your priority as well. Whenever you're questioning me, like you should be able to have that question and like, ask me, like, I had a call the other day where she was like, so like, how long have you been doing this? And how did you get into this? And like, what's your experience? What's like, where did you get like your degrees? And I'm like, cool, I haven't answered these questions in a while, let me like give you my background um, and tell you my like a little bit of my story uh, because it's important to know that like, yeah I have done a lot of work to get to where I am and so have you, uh, which was supposed to be part of our story today, so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, the- I'll also say, I mean, I think the, the thing that's really important is that, you know we people like you and I, who work in this space with with in the I would say the health, wellness, and fitness industry, there we people are very vulnerable to misinformation and to unfortunately, predatory behavior. And I consider it like a real honor when somebody trusts me with their training and my, as I've said to, I mean, every single one of my athletes and like all this, like my number one goal is to keep you safe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I absolutely want to help you reach your goals and get you to PRs. But like my number one goal is a coach, whether it's somebody working with one-on-one or somebody who's following one of my pre-written programs, like my goal is to keep you safe. Mm-hmm. And if I'm, if I'm not taking that seriously, then I'm not doing my job. And there are a ton of people out there who, who, who are literally preying upon people's fears and insecurities with regards to their fitness and not trying to keep them safe and do not have their best interests at heart. Um, And that makes me incredibly sad because it gives everybody else who is trying to do the right thing a really bad rap.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's like, it's such a good point. And like, I, I also do the same. And I like, I literally any time, every couple of months, I like send out an email to all of like the people that I'm working with at the time. And I'm like, FYI, like you're making my dream come true right now. And like, like you need to, like, I like, I remind them of this because I'm like, you don't understand that. Like, to me, this is still surreal that this is like my full-time job that I get to work with you people. that I get to do this thing and love running. Like that my passion for running as like a middle schooler came into this like whole thing, like that still blows my mind. And anytime that somebody like wants to work with me, I'm like, Cool. Like I'm so excited. Like I'm genuinely so excited that like you are actually like interested in working with me. Not because like I don't feel like I'm qualified, but because like the fact that again it's a dream come true of actually getting to do these things and create this change and having those conversations with people on Instagram that have like messaged me and said, like, hey, I like started doing this thing that you had recommended and like it's changed my pain and it's changed this and like or something where like I've talked about X on a podcast and they're like it really was like so enlightening and like really like affirming that like this doesn't have to be the way and the doctor that told me this is like not telling me the truth and like maybe they're they're truly just being lazy and they're not actually like looking at me as like an individual or they're creating more fear that like shouldn't be there and that that's why I do it because like those little changes those glimmers of hope that were like changing the the messaging out there We're changing the people that are involved in the sport. We're creating this hope and we're creating this, like, hopefully better system and better community in running, um, to, to have better athletes, but also just like better human beings in the end.
1: Yeah. I've always said running is really about life, right? It's, it's being, being a runner teaches you how to handle life Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the lessons go both ways.
0: Yeah. Well, I have kept you here for so long, but I super appreciate everything that you have talked with me about today. Like we just got on such a roll and like, I absolutely love that every single time that we've ever spoken. Like it's just been such a fluid conversation, which was one of the reasons I wanted to have you on my podcast and be able to talk to you. I'm going to have to have you back on to actually tell us about your story and like how you got into running. Um, And we will stay focused on that next time and not get maybe a little sidetracked. But I love the sidetracks that we went on today in terms of Anything that you are doing right now, any offers that may be coming up or things that you are launching and you're going into the holiday season, going into the new year. So things are kind of like kind of rumbling in the community right now in terms of what people are looking for in 2024. But in terms of any of that, and then how people can find you, how people can connect with you, do you want to share that with everybody?
1: For sure. First of all, thank you for having me. This is a ton of fun. I feel like we just be like one of those classic, like a four hour episode, right? We'll just sit here and talk. Um, Hey, maybe that's a good idea for a mini series in the future. Yes. yes, So you can find me if you want to learn uh, about running, (laughs) whether you're new or very experienced. I'm on Instagram at running explained. I'm trying to be on TikTok, which, so we'll see how that goes. Uh yeah, that's not yet. So don't try to come find me because I'm not there yet. Instagram <laughs> is my primary uh platform. The Running Explained podcast is my podcast. New episodes out every Thursday. And then, of course, obviously, we offer one on one coaching, as I've been referencing in this episode, along with pre written training plans. I have a bunch of other cool programs that are available, an assortment of master classes. Uh, group coaching is relaunching in January 2024. So that's essentially uh, access to every single training plan that's currently available and a monthly group coaching call, along with access to a selection of master classes. And then there are a bunch of like holiday deals and specials that I am offering. So depending on when you're listening to this episode, whether it is the week of Thanksgiving and there's Black Friday happening, or it's more around Christmas time, there's probably some cool stuff that's on sale that you should go check out. And you can find all of that on my website, runningexplained.co.
0: Amazing. Well, again, it was so great to speak with you. I, again, yes, I absolutely think that we should do some form of a series and just like have random, very long conversations. We'll figure maybe out some topics and stay sort of on track, but there'll probably be some tangents because that is life that is running. But thank you again. It has been such a pleasure. Thanks, Lauren.